Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 34. Today's poem comes from Poetry 180, A Turning Back to Poetry, edited by Billy Collins. The poem is Did I Miss Anything by Tom Wayman. Before we get to Did I Miss Anything, of course, we need to explore last week's poem by A.A. Milne, The End. This was a poem I was sure that everyone could enjoy, and I was right, uh, with one of my students who has previously expressed some skepticism toward poetry, declaring that this is what all poems should be like. And what's not to love? It is sweet, makes use of clear patterns, relates to fundamental, well-known thematic topics like growth, maturity, and it is concise. It is, in every way, a lovely little poem. But it also has a lot of depth. There's a lot to see and say here. And not a lot of it is as obvious as the poem initially suggests. Here's the poem. The End. A.A. Milne. When I was one, I had just begun. When I was two, I was nearly new. When I was three, I was hardly me. When I was four, I was not much more. When I was five, I was just alive. But now I'm six. I'm as clever as clever, so I think I'll be six now, forever and ever. So one of the first things that we get is that this is a poem that's very much about growing, about aging, right? Uh, and so students note that the author uses age as a sort of relation to who you are, like what you are now versus what you are then. So first, they see themselves as fresh and innocent and, and sure, but they're not, they lose something there. There's a, there's an ease and an obviousness and you're not really the person you're growing into. That person that you were is not the person that you are now. And they're hardly even close, actually. Uh, a student says the speaker described the previous years in kind of a dreary way because their mind was much more simple then. Their experiences were the same. But now the kid's six, you know, life opens up a lot more. Another notes that it's easy to think of yourself as childish or immature when you were younger. And now at six, he's much older and a lot more mature when it's only been a year, really. In another response, uh, there's a comment that a student believes that this poem shows growing up uh, at as a process, how your brain always tricks you into making you feel like you were somehow less than before and you're building yourself into something new, right? Becoming older, becoming better. Those two things are just naturally connected. And so along this line, there are students who say things like uh, noting that the poem seems to suggest this speaker is trying to live life to the fullest and he can only really do that as he gets older. So growing up means better things can happen. Another connects this to the development of the human brain. Uh, a student says that consciousness separates us from animals. So when bored, they're just purely animalistic. They're, they have primal instincts for survival, and that's it. But now that they're six, there's consciousness, there's thoughts, there's like self-perception, all that kind of thing. And so there's this transition between being five years old and six that's suddenly much more meaningful than all the other transitions in the story. A student says he feels different about himself because he is acquiring knowledge. And I think this is a really clever idea, by the way, here, because the poem does talk about being clever than clever at six years old. And so maybe it's not just that he's growing, but also that he's learning about the world. 
So this growth, this maturity, isn't just the passage of time, but it's the accumulation of knowledge and thinking and, and complexity of thought. And I think that's really clever. I think that makes sense. Now, in addition to thinking about this from the position of the the speaker being a young person, uh, students also considered this both as a young person wanting to stay young, but also potentially as an older person wanting to be young again. So let's, let's start with the former. Student says the speaker feels as if they are clever and happy as they ever could be. So there's no real reason to age anymore. There's nothing else to learn. We don't have anything else that we need to do because the boy, assumed boy, feels grown up. So why would you do any more? I've already done it. I've, I've gotten there. And this, of course, is an idea that relies on that very last line, or last two lines, which says they're six now, forever and ever, right? This is the ideal age. A student notes that it's almost romanticized, keeping the idea of innocence and freedom of responsibilities there. Uh, this is someone who wishes that they could stay a child forever, always young, always innocent, always happy, always without a care in the world. So this is like, as a, another student says, a niche in this number that somehow satisfies them more than any of the others that have come before. They show how they're better later on. They appreciate their self later on, and they do that by criticizing who they were, comparing themselves to the lesser versions that have come before. A few students noted that A.A. Milne is the author of the stories of Christopher Robin, you know, Winnie the Pooh. And Christopher Robin was six years old, so it feels like maybe it's in that world. With one noting, the speaker seems to be describing themselves almost like a character in a book. Because in a book, you don't age. The character can stay whatever age they need to for the story to be told, right? There's also a lighthearted meaning, according to another, uh, that six is like a perfect age for childhood. Not too young. You've got a developed personality, but not so weighed down. Um, and this is where we start to get into imagining a more adult speaker looking backwards, where this is about growing up and realizing that there was a great time when you were younger that you wish you can go back to. So this child doesn't realize that one day they'll have to grow. And according to one student, face the cold, dark world that lies ahead. So looking back to that time where you didn't have to deal with the realities, the complications of life, with society, uh, with culture, with work, with the economy, with politics, with all of these things that complicate our day-to-day existence, there is a period of time without all of that, with just the joy there. And maybe this is an adult speaker looking back and thinking fondly, of that period. But the adult speaker is not just looking back, maybe, and hoping that this was the case. This also may be a, a kind of adult voice or an assumed adult audience who's listening to this younger voice and, and recognizing something kind of amusing in it. Uh, because a number of students commented on the fact that there's a kind of ignorance in here. Ignorance is just not knowing, by the way. It doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. But uh, a student notes that a child will always consider themselves to be big boys and big girls. Doesn't matter the age. I have a five-year-old daughter. She is a big girl. I have an eight-year-old daughter. She is also a big girl. Um, And this is just something that comes with being young and wanting to be thought of 
as bigger, right? So a student notes that the speaker has a kind of blissful ignorance of how aging and responsibility works. When the speaker says that there'll be six now forever and ever, this is what we're talking about. This assumption that I know how things work. I get that. And this statement reminds the reader of when they were younger and thought they knew everything there is to know. So if you assume that this is an older reader, hearing these lines, there's something kind of funny in it. There's humor in it here. A student says that this explains how a child can be so certain about things they don't understand and believe they're wildly smart. They're clever as clever, as the poem says. But in response, uh, we have a statement from another student. It says, six-year-olds are not known for their cleverness. When he says he wants to be six forever, I think he means that he wants to be the age he is because he feels uncomfortable growing up. So this is a complication of that idea of, of feeling mature and actually suggesting some uncertainty, right, of growing older. But regardless, there's an important thing about tone here. And a student mentions this. They say that this the certainty that the, the speaker has about wanting to remain six shows that it is, it's earnest, it's honest. And because of that, we can see it that it's not, it's not meant to make us laugh. We're not supposed to see this young person as a fool, but to be someone in, endeared to the speaker, to be appreciative and care about this speaker. Uh, because it's sweet. It really is sweet to feel so grown up. And of course, there's so much more growing to do. Now, along this line of ignorance and, and not knowing, there's a couple things that I think are really interesting that students note. Um, one focus on the title of this poem, that the, the, the title, The End, is ironic. This isn't the end of anything. This is the beginning of a human life. But again, it's about the perception as a young person that you've arrived, that you've gotten there, Right. And there's another comment in here that I think is really interesting. Uh, a student, only one student actually, notes that all of the ages of this poem are capitalized. One, two, three, four, five, except for six. The final stage is not capitalized, as though despite being older, it's actually less than the other ones. It doesn't feel as big. Maybe there's a, a kind of recognition in these last two lines about being sick so that no matter what the student says or what the young person says about feeling older the poet the author the speaker whoever seems to recognize that this isn't going to be a stage that always lasts where you feel comfortable and perfect about the age you are now uh, since we're talking about capitalization and those kind of choices to structure the poem in interesting ways Let's talk about structure, which is, of course, my favorite thing to talk about. It's just so interesting how a poet can create meaning out of structure. And this was an area that a lot of students tackled this time, which is great. Usually it's it's a little more difficult, and so it's easy to stay away from. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited for all the work the students did. Uh, a student notes the poem takes the form of rhyming couplets, which emphasizes an infanti infantile nature to a poem with another on that same line saying that their lines, the couplets are short and simple, representing how childhood can be this way. And again, these couplets are rhyming, and they're playful, and they're kind of sing-song, and yeah, there's something almost nursery rhyme-ish in them, I think. A student notes that there are only four words per line in, in the earlier ages, until you get to six, really. Uh, so four or five words per line indicates that kind of simplicity, right? A student says that there's only five 
rhyming couplets to represent that the five years of life are rhymed or that they're consistent, they're similar, they're staying the same. And a few students noted that the last two are different. They're not rhyming couplets. The author is indicating, according to one student, that before he was six, life was routine, maybe even boring. But this sudden change shows how simplicity has been lost. Simplicity gives way to complexity as a student or the, the young person gets older. So we move from simple and potentially boring in these past years to changes that are reflected in the actual structure of the poem to show this age change, this maturity change, this knowledge change, which is why, according to one student, that the, that the speaker dedicates more than a single two-line stanza to the sixth age. They think differently suddenly and express their thoughts in other more descriptive and complex ways, as most people do as they age, right? And again, along these lines, this is, once again, a young person who believes that they are the smartest they can possibly be. Despite the change happening at age six, they're oblivious to how the world is around them. So they're unaware that they really are kind of presenting themselves in a pretty similar way. Sure, we're using four lines to talk about an age instead of two, but that's only a real doubling. There's certainly more room for complexity. There is still rhyme there, even if it is slightly changed a little bit. And the la one student notes that the last poem is so very different that it really does emphasize the need or longing of being six forever. This is the change that the speaker wants to maintain, that wants to keep forever. And yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, there were a few students who had a very, very different response to any of this. Uh, and so I'm going to mention it. But because the poem has the end as the title, students were fairly logically, I think, thinking of endings. And if you're talking about life and growing and aging, there's only one definite end there, and that's death. And so a few students made this connection that there's something a little bit more haunting happening in here. A student said that I believe that the speaker is telling us that they had passed away and that they had accepted that. They will be six forever, which is kind of ominous. It's, it's unsettling to be in that space at the end of the poem. Again, a total contradiction really to the lighthearted, playful, earnest, maybe ignorant and innocent voice that we had previously mentioned. Uh, another says that the poem ends on a wildly different uh, place uh, than the other parts of the poem, uh, that this is something that doesn't really last, that this is something that the author is maybe recognizing can't may be maintained potentially because there's a goodbye that has to happen here. There is an end that is coming. And so that change at the, towards the end in the last two stanzas recognizes that the innocence that's there, the life that's being enjoyed, the simplicity is going to end. If not literally in death, as another student said, then figuratively in the death of childhood at the very least. Now, I don't know that in my reading, um, I, I think that this is referring to death. Um, I don't think there's enough in here to suggest, outside of the title, I suppose, anything that isn't pleasant and rewarding and enjoyable. Uh, that said, I do think that there is something uh, valuable in recognizing how this poem can work in a couple different ways. 
Okay. Uh, so I think that that analysis with death is a very clever one. And I think it, it works in some ways and at the very least allows us to see the significance of the changes that are happening. Now, our next poem uh, is Did I Miss Anything by Tom Wayman. Uh, it finally happened. I'm sorry. We are back talking about a poem related to school. And not only that, but I am repeating myself, actually, because when the format of this podcast was a bit different and students weren't interacting with it quite the way they are now, uh, I read this poem on episode 17 and shared some of my own analysis. But I'm glad to be coming back to this poem. It is one thing that I think students will like, especially because it presents such a familiar situation, a student returning from an absence and asking the title question. And of course, the teacher must consider what to say and how to say it. As a result, this is a poem with two different tones. They're both a bit playful, one maybe being a bit more sarcastic than the other. But these two perspectives are important to understanding not just the poem, but the teacher, the speaker, who seems to be having both thoughts. For this reason, perspective is our secret passphrase for the week. Here's the poem. Did I miss anything? Tom Wayman. Nothing. When we realized you weren't here, we sat with our hands folded on our desks in silence for the full two hours. Everything! I gave an exam worth 40% of the grade for this term and assigned some reading due today on which I'm about to hand out a quiz worth 50%. Nothing. None of the content of this course has value or meaning. Take as many days off as you like. Any activities we undertake as a class, I assure you, will not matter either to you or me and are without purpose. Everything! A few minutes after we began last time, a shaft of light suddenly descended for an angel or other heavenly being appeared and revealed to us what each woman or man must do to attain divine wisdom in this life and the hereafter. This is the last time this class will meet before we disperse to bring the good news to all the people on earth. Nothing. When you were not present, how could something significant occur? Everything contained in this classroom is a microcosm of human experience, assembled for you to query and examine and ponder. This is not the only place such an opportunity has been gathered. But it was one place, and you weren't here. Students, be sure to use the word perspective in your response in any format. In addition to this word, you must also be sure that you're putting the title of the poem in quotation marks and using the forward slash in your quotes to show where line breaks are. If you quote parts of different stanzas, you better use that double forward slash to show there was a stanza break there. Interestingly, there are eight stanzas here, with the last two each being individual lines. I'm not sure that we've seen this before. In any case, the title's quotation marks and the break's forward slashes are part of the scoring of this assignment, and I've included an attachment on the assignment to show you how to do this properly. Don't forget to use the speaker in your responses to refer to the teacher whose perspective we are hearing. And you might even use the listener to reference the student they are speaking to. This is the professional, fancy, academic way to refer to someone being talked to by a speaker in a poem, after all. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, October 28th, and the two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two. Then support that claim with short quotations from the poem and commentary that explains how the, those quotations support your claim. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, 
have suggestions, or would like me to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LeidenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 34 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent. <laughs>